0: No matter what color your skin may happen to be, there's no growth inside your comfort zone. So as long as you stay in your comfort zone, not only do you not help people who have a struggle that is unbearable and unbelievable, but you really don't do a whole lot for yourself. Becoming uncomfortable by entering into doing this work You're not only doing something for people who are marginalized, you're actually beginning to rebuild the core of your own character.
1: Welcome to Voices of Esalen, I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is Dr. Deborah Egerton, psychotherapist, Enneagram teacher, author, coach, and spiritual leader. Dr. Egerton brings a focus of inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism to her Enneagram work. And she uses that focus to help individuals and organizations release false historical narratives and open their minds and hearts to a more compassionate and connected approach to life. Her superpower is to use the Enneagram as a mechanism for social justice and anti-racism to reconnect people across all dimensions of diversity, acknowledging and respecting the humanity in us all. Dr. Deborah Egerton, thank you so much for joining us today on Voices of Esalen.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
1: I listened to this great podcast interview you did just recently with a show called Flowing East and West. I learned that you were a child model. How did this mesh with your identity as a Black person, and how did it contribute to the person who you would become?
0: It's very interesting. I speak a lot about recognizing that we all have some element of privilege that sometimes we don't acknowledge. and There's a responsibility to look at what you have and what you can do with it. So I was born and raised in New York City. And as a result of that, I was in a position where I had access to a lot of opportunity. And I was discovered when I was 10 years old and became a model first runway and then on to do print ads and television commercials and all kinds of things of that sort. But what I like for people to understand is that as a Black woman, as a Black little girl, around the time that they were, society was beginning to look at the civil rights movement and things that were inequitable and what to do about it, they were looking for ways to include Black people in the narrative, Black people to show up in the spaces. But the Black people so often that were chosen were Black people that looked like me. Fair-skinned, green-eyed, and it was very disheartening in some ways to recognize that the opportunity that I was given was still steeped in systemic racism and steeped in colorism and that was very painful. I was very aware of that, but I was also aware that I was that little girl that was going to open the doors for other people to follow. And that was very important to me. 10 years old, I sucked it up and became a little adult and recognized I'm a door opener. I'm a pathfinder, I'm a way leader. And uh, that's the way it, it affected me. That had a wonderful effect on, of course, the African-American community. I grew up in Hollis, Queens, and people were so excited to see the things that I w- was doing. And they felt the literal sort of reverberation of these doors that were starting to open. But it really put me on the path of recognizing there's so much more to be done.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. So you're put into a position where you felt like your actions would have kind of wide reverberations. and. Yeah, I'm just curious about how that affected you as a child or as a teen. Were you able to hold this? Are you the kind of person that was able to bloom in an environment where you felt your actions would be projected?
0: Absolutely. I will say this. My husband and I were laughing about this the other day. I am that person that will absolutely bloom where I'm planted. And we have lived in some pretty strange parts of the world But I've always found a way to thrive because I believe wherever you go, there you are. So in reality, it's not about where you are. It's about who you are and how you show up in that space. Sam, I'm a Black woman who was given a voice. I was given a platform. I was given an opportunity to speak from my heart to people who don't always want to listen. and what I can share with you about being that person that began as a model and then I didn't love modeling. I just have to come right out and say that I really didn't even like it. I knew that the emphasis on the physical, superficial, it it was all about how I looked. It had a little bit to do with the fact also that I could be polite and pleasant and all of that. But there's so much more to a person than what is skin deep. And I was fascinated with how people's minds worked. To be a little girl and still have people using the N-word in front of me or saying things like, we don't know what to do with her hair. What, what, how do we fix it? Do we have a stylist that can do that? Or to have to do my own makeup when I was 10 years old because people weren't sure of what shade to put on me, things like that. Those things were really deeply wounding because what it said is, you're different and not in a good way. That was the message. Mm -hmm. I can also share that I'm a woman of great faith and I prayed myself through those circumstances. And I would absolutely just say, okay. You got to help me out here, angels, because I'm not sure what I'm doing, but maybe you can make me look pretty enough to walk out there. So all of those experiences put me in the public eye very early, gave me exposure to a much broader range of what's out there in the world, and made me recognize everybody didn't have access to it. So what it really did inside my soul was it made me want everyone to have access and let anyone who wants to follow come through.
1: talked a little bit earlier about being able to bloom anywhere. I know a bit more about your story in that you had moved to El Paso, Texas, where you founded and served as a director of a, a runaway center of El Paso. This is a shelter for teens who it, it sounded like who had, had mostly left abusive home situations. I wanted to ask, why were you motivated to, to do this? And what did the experience end up changing in you?
0: We'll talk about my Enneagram personality archetype a little later, and I am a Enneagram social one, so that aligns perfectly with the things that I've done in my life. What I can tell you is that most of my, for, for as long as I can remember, I have been aware of marginalization. I've been aware of who was being treated differently and for what reason. That's not a blind spot for me because I was born into being treated differently and then seeing people who even share my ethnicity being treated differently from me. So my focus for that became very sharp, very clear. And my heart just wanted to burst wide open. Sometimes I felt like the pain of those experiences would not allow me to be all that I could possibly be because I felt so wounded and it, at times helpless and hopeless about it. I really wanted the whole world to change. I so believe in our universal connection, in our oneness. And I would point to something like Ukraine that's happening on the other side of planet for us, but it might as well be happening to us right here. There's a connection Mm. and feeling that connection is what drew me to people who were marginalized Mm. in El Paso. It was the young Mexican people that I began to focus on primarily because they were so vulnerable. You come across the border and and whether it was young Mexican kids coming across the border trying to find a better life or whether it was young people from maybe the East Coast traveling West with the intention of crossing the border and going into Mexico. Either way, it wasn't a good situation. We're talking about vulnerable young people anywhere from the age of 12 on up. And I was actually working in a social services position, doing some mentoring of young people, teaching them how to do their resumes and how to apply for a job. And I had to drive this raggedy old school bus up and down the streets of El Paso. (laughs) And I'd have on my five-inch heels, okay? And I was so tiny at the time. I would literally have to stand on the clutch, stand up in order to shift it into gear. But I love these young people, and I just wanted to help them in whatever way I could. And that's when I started to realize that sometimes things would happen and they had nowhere to go. They couldn't stay at the Y. They couldn't stay at the city building. They just had nowhere to go. And El Paso had not been able to keep a runaway shelter open because every time the government cycle would cycle around for, to ante up for the new funding, there would be these gaps, and the shelter would close down. At a very, you know, early age, I realized, okay, we got to fix this, and uh, managed to work out a partnership between the city and a place called Leemore Children's Home, which was a wealthy facility that operated with an endowment. And made a connection between the two. So that the right away shelter would be stable. And once I got it open, I just knew that there was a way that I wanted to see it evolve. And so I went to the city manager and said, I'd like to leave this consulting position and go run the shelter. And I did. Yeah. And it was, it was a beautiful experience. Being able to provide a measure of safety for these young people, watching them bloom and recognize that they were worth something, that was the upside. The downside was when things would go into the port system, they would either be put back into their homes or if they didn't belong on you know, this side of the border, it was obvious that they would have to go back. But it was something that was, it was a divine intervention. I was just the vessel to allow that to happen.
1: Mm, mm. Yeah. And, and I ask you these personal questions to get into this sense of knowing who you are and also frame it as we talk about these, the Enneagram, the system of understanding people. In simplest terms, what is the Enneagram for those who are not familiar?
0: For people who are not familiar with the Enneagram, it is a map of, I call it the blueprint to your soul. It is nine points that contain a very powerful energy at each point. Many people speak about their Enneagram type. I don't use that word quite so much anymore because I feel like it tends to make people feel like they are simply one number, which is not true. We have all nine points, all nine energies within us, and we have access to all of them to a greater or lesser degree. But one of those energies dominates, it Mm. leads. Okay. And either for better or for worse, it leads. And I always like to share with people that the Enneagram is no different in terms of your personality structure and the health of it than your physical body. If you pay attention to your physical body when you're getting unhealthy, you do something about it. And same is true for your personality structure. If in fact you're getting unhealthy, you need to be aware that's happening and do something about it.
1: So you had mentioned that you are a one. So using you as an example and, and with the few things that we've spoken about, what does that tell us about you and the way that you like to exist in the world?
0: At point one, It's all about really doing the right thing. A lot of people use the term perfectionist, that it's a rare Enneagram 1 that you will hear that accepts the moniker of perfectionist, because usually we don't feel like we're anywhere near perfect. But it is about justice and integrity doing the right thing and how hard is it to figure out what the right thing is to do. The slippery slope for one is that doing the right thing through whose lens. And so, of course, for one, we're looking through our own lens and we feel like the right thing literally comes up from our intuitive gut and we can respond to it. The right thing for... Us to do at point 0.1 may not look the exact same for someone at point 0.5, and that's, that's sort of the the dance that we have to engage in, as much as broadening our vision and not just seeing it through our own lens, but recognizing that it's not a binary right, wrong, good, bad. Looking at our perfectly imperfect human selves. And the perfectly inhuman humanity as it exists, and discovering how to love, to give and receive love, and to not always feel that everything has to be fixed. When you lead with that one energy in a way where you can always see what's wrong or identify or point out what is broken, you have a tendency to make people feel broken. Mm. And that's something that is absolutely counterintuitive to what a one would want to do in the world. So that's uh, that's just a little bit about ones.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Partly what you'll be teaching at Esalen is a way of using the Enneagram to work into the idea that's the an anagram that stands for inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism. Can you tell me about how and why the Enneagram system works effectively in this context?
0: Yes, I can. I call this work idea work because I very much believe that it is time for us to take a new approach. It is inner work that makes outer work sustainable. We have not been successful over time in eliminating or eradicating othering, othering human beings. And othering is done based on some dimension of our human diversity. People get pushed to the margins of society based on the color of their skin, based on who they choose to love, how they choose to worship. There's so many different unfortunate ways that we stereotype, humiliate, demean, and dismiss human beings. And othering is something that if we don't go inside and begin to do our own inner work to recognize that there's a purification process that is necessary to come back out and to be able to advocate for all of humanity. And we are all wounded. It takes someone being very serious about their own inner work to touch their own wounds and heal them so that when they come out into the world and take any type of action, the action is coming from a pure place not from a wounded place, Mm. not from a, I hurt just as much or more than you. I call that the pain Olympics. Pain is pain, suffering is suffering. And when we start trying to compare each other's pain, it's not useful. Really, what's useful is recognizing when people are hurting, when people are suffering, when people are being treated as less than in a society particularly if we look at the United States of America, where there should be and actually is more than enough for everyone. We can absolutely change the way that we navigate the world. The Enneagram helps us to look at what gets in the way. Mm. What separates us from, for those who have a spiritual path or a faith walk, What separates us from understanding that we are connected to our creator from a just straight lay human being standpoint, what separates us from each other when in reality, we are not separate. Mm. It's so difficult to get people to understand that there are not different races, there is one race, the human race. We have many different ethnicities. And I really don't think that a powerful creator screwed up when we were put in different parts of the world and we learned different ways to survive. We have different cultures. We learned different ways of giving gratitude and thanks to our creator. I just don't think that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that was happenstance. And why people want to demonize and dismiss and humiliate any human being, in some ways, it's beyond me. And then in other ways, I recognize I can't afford for it to be beyond me because I have to look right at it in order to work with it. Yeah. What the Enneagram surfaces is the fear, the shame, the guilt. The blame. And those are all paralytics. As long as we sit in that stinky stew, we will never, ever be able to advocate not only for others, but even for ourselves. Mm, mm -hmm.
1: And so is the idea that somebody who participates in one of your classes or workshops uses the Enneagram model to learn more about themselves and then can successfully walk into the, the field of inclusion, diversity, anti-racism?
0: Yes, absolutely. Because people who have not done their own work will sometimes come out and engage in what I call a flurry of activity. Now, I'm not putting that down. We need all the help we can get. (laughs) It's wonderful if someone wakes up with a fire in the belly for really wanting to engage and to do something about, look at what just happened in Buffalo. I'm there on the weekend working with people, helping them to go inward, to be able to come outward. And while we're in, someone is out shooting up people because they're Black. That has to have a sort of cadre of human beings, an army who are willing to go out in the world and say, enough, because, Sam, why are we here? Are we really here to fight and hate each other? Or are we here to figure out how to evolve as kinder, gentler, more compassionate and empathetic human beings. Are we here to divide and separate? or are we here to try to help one another or to use Ram Das's words to walk each other home? Until we recognize that these false divisions, these man-made divisions that we have created, what they are doing to our souls and to the sort of trajectory of humankind, we will never be whole and healed. Who wants to leave what we're looking at today in terms of the conflict, the divisions, the hatred? Who wants to leave that to their children and their grandchildren? The legacy of that is not something that that we can be proud of. And am I on a mission to try to love everybody into this space of wanting to do this type of work? Absolutely.
1: I'm curious about the people who come to your workshops and what the, the initial stumbling blocks that lie in their path, because I'm imagining You're not getting people who are outwardly racist or wanting to be jumbled up in their own lack of compassion. I'm curious to hear about how unraveling happens in action in one of your workshops.
0: So what I'm seeing in terms of people that are coming, and sometimes I will take people through two different processes. There are some people who come who simply want to learn the Enneagram, which is fine, because if you learn, the Enneagram helps you to learn how to do your own inner work. And I actually recommend that as a first step, the quality of your relationships and the quality of the work that you do towards healing humanity will be much greater if you are working on yourself. So that's number one. People who come out and want to just make things better in the world and they haven't done their own work, sometimes make things worse. Because there is a level of arrogance and ignorance that enters initially if you haven't done your own work. Once you do your own work, you get a little humble (laughs) and you recognize, okay, I'm no different than anyone else. I've got some healing to do. But the people who go through that process and then enter into the arena of wanting to be allies and advocates are people who have recognized I cannot stand by and do nothing any longer. Mm. I just can't. And they don't always know what to do. So they will come to learn to be allies and advocates. And one of the first things that I explain is that you don't get to call yourself an ally. And, and sometimes people don't understand that. If you are a white person and you're coming because you want to stand beside people of color, BIPOC as we call it, we will identify you as an ally. Based on how you show up, there are people who are calling themselves allies who are doing us more harm than good. And that's something that has to be understood and dealt with. Allies are people who enter with a level of humility, along with the recognition of some positional power. Mm. Sometimes that positional power simply comes from the fact that you were born with white skin. So how does that give you positional power? It gives you positional power because it allows you to navigate through the world without being questioned about whether or not you belong. And that is something that people don't understand. You and I can walk into a department store and you may get treated in a way where you have some help if you need it. I may walk into a department store and have way more help than I want because somebody's following me around for reasons that are not helpful. Mm. There is, when I think about things that should just be human rights, Sam, And if we go back in time, my mother had to fight to get me and my brother into school because she wanted us to go to private school, Catholic school. But everything that should be a human right has to be fought for if you're a person of color. From where you go to school to whether or not you get to vote, whether or not someone's going to throw an obstacle in your path, and who's going to hire you, to whether or not your name puts a mark by your resume that says, no, you're not going to even get an interview. There are just so many things, whether or not you can move into a certain neighborhood, whether or not you can get a hotel room when you're on the road. These are things that If you are white, you don't have to think about it. But if you are a person of color, not only do you have to think about those things, but being very honest with you today, I woke up this morning after listening to what happened in Buffalo and I thought, is there anywhere in the world where I feel safe anymore? And the answer to that question is no, there is nowhere in the world where I feel safe. And I'm not alone in that feeling. So getting people to wake up and to understand that if you have positional power, that if you understand the concepts of unity, connection, oneness, the human race, we need to all be in this together.
1: Today's podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes life throws you a curveball or two and you need someone to talk to. I personally am a huge fan of therapy, a huge supporter of therapy. It's helped me to get through some of the roughest times in my life, honestly. What's cool about BetterHelp is that they provide online therapy directly to you at a price that's more affordable than traditional offline therapy. So it's a great way to invest in yourself without breaking the bank. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely by video or audio online, and it's available to everyone. When you sign up, you'll match with a therapist according to your needs. And who knows? It may take a few tries to find the right fit for you, so BetterHelp makes it easy and free to change therapists if needed. And they have a special offer for our listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Esalen. That's 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp.com com I was listening to an interview that Ibram Kendi did. I think it was on the Ezra Klein podcast where he put forth the idea that white people and folks of color might not necessarily need to be in the same workshop space doing anti-racist work. And I'm imagining that the work you do, it's a mixed group, but, but I'm wondering where you come out on, on that position.
0: I think that there is room for both, but it de- it depends on the level of development of the human beings who are coming into that room. I've been doing this work for 30 years. I do have a way of doing it when I go into organizations where I do what is called healing humanity work, and I do separate out the groups. I will bring BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color together to talk about their experiences. And it's very powerful because so very often we don't talk about our experiences. It's like you have to live it anyway, so you don't want to keep going through it over and over again. It's traumatizing. And to put people in a space together to do that work, that's how the healing begins. Then I will work with white people to help them to understand the deep history of injustice and systemic racism and try to work with people who are willing to look at what we need to unlearn and what we need to relearn to recognize that we cannot build on a flawed foundation. There's a very flawed foundation. People are still trying to erect structures on top of that, and it's not working. And we will never get from disenfranchisement to equality without paving a path of equity. And that takes a lot of work. But after I've worked with the white people who want to identify as allies and advocates, I have them just be willing to sit and listen to when I bring people back into the room and the job then is to let us speak to our experience and after every person has spoken that wants to share then I will ask white people what do you what's your response to this and normally the response is overwhelmingly empathetic I will hear things like I just didn't know." I want to do more. I want to be better. I want to try to understand. And so now I have two groups that I can work with together. Mm. Because I've done some of that separate work. With the Enneagram, it's a little different because I can bring everyone into a room. And it's very powerful when two people who have different skin colors, one white, one black, Discover that they have the same personality archetype. And then the conversation can go in a really interesting direction because what is learned is even when there are socioeconomic levels that are very different, when the experiences are very different, there's some common ground around the way they navigate through the world. That allows people to. Sometimes, even if it's temporary, to get past the external. If
1: you're identifying a different kind of intersectionality.
0: Absolutely. I have something that I've created that I call the humanity mosaic. And I have people work with that to learn how to understand that you may have different things that you value or you hold very closely to your heart. They mean a lot to you. If you can understand that you value something, someone else can value something different, but they're holding it the same way. And so you go to a deep level of respect for, okay, that's not my value. This is my value, but I get that you feel the same way about your family that I feel about my education. They're different things, but they're held onto in the same way. And that opens up a whole different type of discussion as well.
1: Do you find within the context of your work that you can witness profound changes in people's thinking around race and equity?
0: Absolutely. But only if they've done the inner work. People will make a temporary shift, Sam, it's temporary. I can go in. In fact, when I go into organizations, I won't do one day work anymore. I call that throwing fairy dust around. You know, it's, everybody has a happy, feel good day. And all oh, that was interesting. And she was so much fun and blah, blah, blah. And everything goes back to the default because the default is strong. Mm-hmm. And you have to be willing to commit to a true journey. People who commit to the journey, I teach a certification course in Enneagram and Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Anti-Racism work, where I teach people not only how to go on that journey themselves, but how to be able to come out in the world and do that work. It's six months and then there's another six months of the advanced level. But the what happens at the end of that is that I have people who literally have put on the full armor of being love warriors to go out into the world and consistently do the work. And sometimes the people who have entered really had no intention of going to that level of depth. Maybe they had been identified as, you're going to be our new chief diversity officer. And they said, Oh my God, what does that mean? Uh, maybe I need to take a class. Mm-hmm. And then they, were, then they run into my <laughs> class. And it's an entirely different experience from what they, they thought they would have. Mm. But yes, I have seen people go from bigotry, unacknowledged, of course, implicit bias, childhood messages that were never released. All of these things that we keep inside of us that are messages that are that we're operating off of, we're on autopilot walking through life in a hypnotic state, and we've not done the work of releasing what no longer serves us. And so, when I take people into that deep work, that's what it's about. Mm. What are you carrying that no longer serves you? It actually is harming not only you, but the rest of humanity.
1: Mm. I'm curious about how the Enneagram work has changed you, opened you up to, with the, the kind of self-insight that it brought you that has enabled you to walk your path more fully and become a more actualized individual.
0: The Enneagram not only saved my life because it helped me to understand this profound sense of Purpose that I know I was born with, and when you feel like you were put here to do something, but you don't know quite what it is, you can lose an awful lot of time and energy just trying to figure out what it is. And what I recognized when I discovered my Enneagram type, and I I really want to share this because when I discovered that I was an Enneagram One. I curled up in a little ball and cried for about three months. <laughs> was like, no, anything but that. I can't be a one. I just can't. And I am with all the good, bad and the ugly, all that goes along with it. But what really happened was I began to see how my quest for Making things better for healing the world, for helping others, for being in alignment with my integrity. It was not about some specific path that I had to follow, but it was about just being me everywhere that I was. I don't believe that my creator really cares what I choose to do for a living. I do believe that my creator cares that. I am authentically who I was created to be. And if I stand in that space with integrity, the next sort of paver just appears in front of my eyes okay. and I just walk through life that way. Mm. You know? And so whether I became this social justice warrior or an interior designer, As long as I evolved to to remain the authentic human being that I was created to be and didn't get pulled into this thing of trying to be a better version of myself. Don't be a version, be authentically who you are. That is how the Enneagram helped me, me to self-actualize. And then on top of that, what it did for my relationships. At point one, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of, this is good, this is bad, that's right, that was inappropriate, you shouldn't have said that, you shouldn't have done this. And then, particularly if you point that out to other people, there's an inner critic that just beats the hell out of you for being unkind, or not saying it right, or you should have done this, you should have done that. That's a recipe for losing your mind. Once I really started studying the Enneagram. When I look at the quality of my marriage, my husband and I both laugh about our relationship pre-Enneagram and post-Enneagram. Okay. My relationship with my children, my relationships with my friends, discovering that I stood at point one, I could see my life flashing before my eyes in the way of These were things that I was doing and saying to people thinking I was being helpful, but now I can see how hurtful that might have been. Mm. And yeah, I had to go through a process of remorse and self-forgiveness because Maya Angelou's words, when I use them a lot, when you know better, you do better. Mm. And. As I evolved on my Enneagram journey, I began to know better, and I did do better. A lot of that judgy much stuff began to be released. I could let that go. It's just a beautiful thing to look at people with love, with empathy, with compassion, with forgiveness, with all of the things that help people thrive rather than looking at people through a lens of judgment.
1: And it's so fascinating to consider this work, facilitating more work within the anti-racist framework. I I think about this concept a lot of white comfort, which I think is a stumbling block to action. It will be harder for folks like myself to engage in anti-racist work than it is to not do anything and just exist because the position that I'm in in a society puts me in a position of comfort all the time. So choosing in a very practical way to engage in the work that will make me uncomfortable goes against that principle of white comfort. And I wanted to talk to you a bit about how the work that you do with the the Enneagram and racial healing can help people walk a path that leads them away from apathy and towards empathy.
0: No matter what color your skin may happen to be, there's no growth inside your comfort zone. Okay. So as long as you stay in your comfort zone, not only do you not help people who have a struggle that is unbearable and unbelievable, but you really don't do a whole lot for yourself. Becoming uncomfortable by entering into doing this work, you're not only doing something for people who are marginalized, you're actually beginning to rebuild the core of your own character. What I try to help people understand in order to come along on this path is that when you go out and kill someone, if we go back in time and we look at the human beings who lynched Black people, if we look at the human beings who are shooting Black people right now, if you look at the people who are actually doing horrific things to Asian people now, The harm of that is not just landing on their intended victim. The harm in that is also landing in the people who are perpetuating these atrocities. They don't see it, they don't understand it, but it is there. It is absolutely part of the creation of neural pathways that lives in their bodies, that lives in their being. And that's getting passed on. That's getting passed on to the children of the people. You you hear people say all the time, and this used to be the big concrete wall that went up about doing any kind of diversity work. I wasn't around during the time of slavery. I don't have slaves. I don't get it. I don't have to do this. This is not my problem. Yes, it is. It is your problem. It lives in your DNA. And and this is what we're seeing now, Sam. We are seeing so much hatred, animosity, and apathy. Actually, the apathy is the worst of all of it. The people who say nothing, do nothing, and pretend that this does not exist. Let me give you an example of what I'm working with right now. I'm working with parents of young people in their teens and twenties who their children don't even want to talk to them because they have no understanding of how their parents could have raised them and never said anything or done anything about the racism that lives in the world today. Mm. And so they're now looking at their parents and saying, who are you? That's powerful.
1: That is powerful.
0: And so now I have these parents coming forward and saying, can we work with you? Because our children hate us. And it just wasn't part of our experience. We didn't know how to talk to them about it. And so you see how the apathy that people embodied now comes back it comes all the way back around and their children are saying and how far does this hatred go tell me about my grandparents did they lynch black people is that why you never told us about it I ask people who are white bodied to look at the timeline of systemic racism and to position themselves in the different places in the timeline of where these horrific things were happening and where were you aware of it? Mm. What did you do about it? What did you have to say about it? What side of it were you on? What side of it were your parents on? Just to take a deep dive right into the heart of the horrific, painful suffering that was imposed on other human beings because of the color of their skin and who are still suffering from a man-made social construct that continues to render people of color As less than. Mm -hmm.
1: Dr. E, as as Juneteenth approaches, I was wondering, what, what are your thoughts around this commemoration?
0: In so many ways, I hate that question. And at the same time, I think it's important to speak to it. It was signed in as a federal holiday under President Biden. And instead of feeling joy, I felt a lot of sorrow I think it's very sad that we have to celebrate Juneteenth, which is the celebration of the freedom of the slaves who did not know that they had already been freed. And for people to have continued to hold people in bondage, even beyond the legal Period of time when the emancipation was signed, slaves were free, and yet there were still slaves that were not told they were free and might not ever have known they were free had there not been this sort of Juneteenth when it was actually spoken to as you are free in Texas and also Delaware. And it's just, it's mind boggling to me. It is the whole idea of slavery is despicable. The fact that eventually there was an emancipation is something that is sad because slavery was despicable. But we look at emancipation as being what supposedly freed us from bondage. Then we look at a celebration of Juneteenth, which showed that in so many ways Emancipation was on paper only. And then even after Juneteenth, when slaves who were held in bondage beyond the point of time of the emancipation were liberated and set free to what? There were no 30 acres and mule. There was no support. And yet we're talking about people who managed to build and to thrive and to create from nothing and then every time as a people we would get a footing it would be destroyed so what juneteenth really represents to me is the reality that emancipation is on paper it's not a reality and until we reach a place in time where history respects the entirety of what slavery did and what systemic racism continues to do, there's still no emancipation.
1: Thank you for speaking to that. I, I so appreciate the depth with, with which you answered that question. I really appreciate that. Dr. E., I think we're almost at time here. You have a book called No Justice, No Peace. That's K-N-O-W, Justice, K-N-O-W, Peace, A Transformative Journey of Social Justice, Anti-Racism, and Healing Through the Power of the Enneagram. You'll be teaching at Esalen several times come this summer and this fall. Take us on out of here by letting people know why they should use the Enneagram and engage in this powerful work that you've been called to do.
0: I will say that I wrote No Justice and No Peace because that's something that every human should be able to know in their lifetime. We should all be able to live from a place of the knowledge and awareness of what justice is and how we can have that and what peace feels like and how we can know that we are all at peace, not some of us, but all of us. None of that will happen unless we do the inner work that is required for us to know justice and to know peace. It's something that is within us. We can't create it externally unless we know what it is internally. There are many ways, many paths, and people choose their own path. And the Enneagram, for me, it's like it undergirds the strength of my faith and my capacity to do inner work. It's not, and I like to clarify this because the Enneagram is not a religion. The Enneagram is not some woo-woo thing that people take and place a symbol somewhere and go by daily and bow to it. The Enneagram is a system of looking at the way that you show up in the world, the way that you are received and perceived by others, and your reaction and responses to that as well. I talk a lot about intent and impact. And sometimes we have very good intentions, but our impact is way off the mark. So there's an impasse when the two of those things don't align well. What I see that happens with the Enneagram is that it allows people to go back to the place of the impasse where their intent was in one place and their impact ended up in another. And to really look at it and examine it, explore it, and then to use the vernacular, come correct. Just come correct. Own it. Develop a level of true humility. Accept all parts of yourselves. Find what's inside and then to take responsibility for it so that concepts that are really quite complex, like justice and peace, we can begin to look at them through new eyes and move away from the binary thinking of everything being right, wrong, good, bad, good, evil, but understand that we have to accept what is and work with what truly is not pretend that it's further along down the road than it is. When I was writing No Justice, No Peace, I talked quite a bit about people understanding that we have to start from where we really are. And so there's so much we have to unlearn and relearn and be willing to do that. And the true definition of ignorance is people who will hold on to something in spite of being given the data, the information, and the evidence of otherwise. That is to live life in ignorance. But if we are to grow, if we are to evolve as a species, we cannot grow from a place of ignorance. We have to grow from a place of truth. We have to learn to know what justice is. And we have to learn how to embody and know peace for all
1: Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's episode was produced in conjunction with Shira Levine. Our music is by Nico Holloman. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. If you're enjoying the show, please support us by sharing on social media or by going to your favorite podcast player and leaving a review. It really does help. Until next time, be well.